0: All right, well, as I share, every time I get the opportunity to get up here and, and share God's Word with you, I, I, I love the opportunity to do this, and I am always feel so honored to be able to share God's Word with you. I do like when it's under better circumstances. very much so wish Josh was up here today. <laughs> so, but uh, he asked that I fill in for him um, while he's taking care of Sarah, and I'm more than happy to do so. Um, but on the other side of that, it was interesting, because about a week ago, uh, I was feeling... God, de- starting to download a message into my heart, and uh, I was almost getting a little sad because, you know, when, when it's time, when I'm getting close to a time when I might get an opportunity to preach or whatever, and I'm just very prayerful and asking God, what do you want me to share about it, just trying to hear his heart on that. And uh, I, for the foreseeable future, didn't have a time coming up soon that I was going to be preaching, and so I'm totally like, God, why are you downloading this into my heart right now? <laughs> and uh, again, every once in a while, he knows what he's doing sometimes, so... Um uh, yeah, I just a week ago I just felt like God really just burdening my heart with this message. And uh well it came became apparent why this weekend, and I think this is what God wanted me to share with you guys today. Um so we're gonna be in John chapter thirteen. So in just a moment I'll read from there if you'd like to turn your Bibles or, or turn on your phones or whatever to follow along. John chapter thirteen. So this is uh an incredibly powerful moment in Jesus' ministry. John chapter 13 is, uh, takes place during the, uh, the Last Supper, right? We just talked about it with communion, and we just remembered that together and a portion of what happened there. Uh, but the book of John, one of, the, one of the incredibly special things about the book of John uh, in that gospel is he spends a really large amount of time on that night, on, in, that, in that final supper, from chapters 13 all the way up to chapters 17. So what's that, 13, 14, 15, 16? So that's five chapters where John goes into great detail what happened on that night. Now, the book of John is, what, 21 chapters, I think, 22, something like that. So this is almost a quarter of the book <laughs> that is spent on this moment of Jesus' ministry. So it's got to be important, right? This John's saying, focus in on here. The other thing that makes this so important is this is Jesus' final moments with his disciples before going to the cross. As we're going to read here in just a second, Jesus knew full well what was about to happen to him. He was completely aware. And, and so he had something that many of us may never get, is the opportunity to know when his life on earth is coming to an end and then have that opportunity to say the things that needed to be said in those final moments. Some of us may get that opportunity, some of us may not. Maybe today you're thinking of a loved one that you've lost and you wish you had a final moment with them again, right? Maybe you, you lost them unexpectedly, you didn't know it was going to happen, and, and you'd give anything to say, I'd like to be able to say this to them, whatever that may be. Um, but, and, and so that's a, it's a good reminder to us also that none of us knows when our time will come and say the things that need to be said now, right? So all all these things come into this. But Jesus had this moment. He had this moment, and he said, this is the final time we're all going to be together before the crucifixion. Now, after he was raised, he appeared to them multiple times, and there was times where he interacted with them. But this was it, before the big moment. So I've always taken this as the things Jesus said and did in this moment were very important to him. Because right? this, was, this was him choosing, if I have to get anything across to you, if I, if I have a final word, if you get anything from what I've been saying to you these past three years talking to his disciples, I want you to get this. That's kind of how I take this message today and why I believe it is so important. And what Jesus chose to do in this moment is incredible. As we're going to read, he chose to wash the disciples' feet. That's the, one of the final actions he took with them. And not only does it do something special in that small moment that he had with them, but it also speaks more largely of his whole whole purpose on earth, of what he came to do and what he hopes that we can do in following him. So let's look at this together. Again, John chapter 13. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 2. No, starting in verse 1, sorry. It says, Now before the festival of the Passover... Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. So that's what I was talking about. He knew, right? He knew his hour had come. So this, that's the, this is the setting right here. He knows what's about to happen. It says, having loved his own, meaning his disciples, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So John is setting this up that what's about to happen is showing the extent of Jesus' love. He loved them to the very end. So this is about to be an incredible expression of love, of what's going to happen here. Verse 2 says, The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God. I want to stop here for just a second. That's an incredible statement right there. Because in these first couple verses, John's really setting the stage, right? Jesus knew it was going to happen. He sets the stage with the fact that Judas had already betrayed Jesus, right? And we're going to get to that in just a little bit. And then he sets the stage with Jesus in this moment knew that he had all authority on earth. God had put all things into his hands. So we, we start with this question right here. If you were to find yourself in that situation, you walk into a room, full of people, and someone says, you're the person in authority. You're in charge of everybody in this room. Now, some of you may be like, I don't want that, please, anything but that. (laughs) Some of you may be like that too much. So, you know, there's got to find a happy medium in there. But this is the situation Jesus found himself in. What would you do with that authority, right? What would you do with that position of power that you've been given? What would your response be to that? Well, Maybe none of us exactly know what our response would be until we've actually been in that situation, or maybe you have been in that situation, maybe you are in that situation all the time, and you can think about how you respond to your own given authority in these situations. Well, I can at the very least today tell you what Jesus' response was to that, all right? And hopefully we can learn something from it. So Jesus, knowing he had been given all things, all authority on heaven and earth, what did he choose to do with that authority? It says in verse 4 that he got up from the table, took off his outer robe, tied a towel around himself, he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. It's an incredible response to authority. Not the typical response to authority right there, but that's Jesus' response to all authority being given to him as he took the place of a servant and washed his disciples' feet. Verse 6 says, he came to Simon Peter. You know it's going to be good when it comes to Simon Peter. So, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered, you do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. You ever talk to God like that? <laughs> it never ends well. So, Peter tries it from time to time, so... You're never going to wash my feet, God. This isn't happening. You're not going to serve me. You're not going to take the place of a slave in front of me. No way. Right? <clears throat> Jesus answered... Uh, oh, never mind. I already read that part. So, Jesus answered, yes. Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. So, Simon Peter said to him, Well, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Let's do it all. Let's Let me jump in right now. Little basin, but I'm getting in there. So... <laughs> Peter, he's an all-or-nothing kind of guy. Jesus said to him, One who bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you, for he knew who was to betray him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet, he had put on his robe, and he returned to the table, and he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher... And Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for this example. Please speak it to our hearts today. And God, I pray that we can learn to serve like you. Thank you for this example. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 So. I don't know. I mean, I'll give you a sermon today. I think Jesus' actions speak pretty loud for himself, right? I mean, what can I say better than Jesus? But I'll do my best to give you a sermon here this morning. So point number one is Jesus came to serve, and he chose to serve. That's my underlined word there. Jesus chose to serve because, like I had said, he had been given all authority. He could have done anything he wanted in that moment. He could have started barking orders. He could have lorded it over them. He could have held his authority over them, made us do anything he wanted to. He could have chosen to be served in that moment because he had all the authority. He's teacher. He's Lord. He's creator of all things. It was all due to him. Okay? So what did he choose, though? He chose to serve. And this really defines his entire time on earth. This defines who he is, and what he came to do. Uh, <clears throat> many times businesses, or maybe even for your own life, you may have like a motto or a mission statement, something that kind of defines you. Or if, you're, if you run a business or you come across a business or even churches, they have mission statements. Something you know, a little, a little quick little statement that kind of defines who they are and what their purpose is as, a, as an organization, as a group, as a person, whatever. Uh, I think Jesus has one of these, and it doesn't doesn't say in the Bible, this is my mission statement. But I've always seen it as Jesus' mission statement. That's Mark 10.45 when it says, Jesus came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I've always just kind of viewed that as that's the mission statement of Jesus. That kind of sums it all up right there. So in the book of Mark, we have that statement. But here in the book of John, we kind of have an illustration that just shows what that is. Although he, he was right, he could be served, he chose to serve. That is who he was, and that is what he came to do. And and Jesus is going to get on here in a little bit to show his disciples that this is how I want you to be as well. You know, if you read this account in the book of Luke, uh, he, he doesn't include the foot washing, the foot washing story, uh, but one thing Luke talks about, Uh, that happened during the lord's the the final supper here was that the disciples began to argue amongst one another and uh, you know if you put the two stories together uh, you you wonder if jesus stood up and did this example this illustration in the middle of this argument while this is all going on that's assumption on my behalf it doesn't say that but you know it's all happening in the same night so here's the argument the disciples started having with one another it was about who was going to be the greatest right of us, of us 12, you know, we are God's right-hand men, right? So that they, they have a, some haughtiness there. Like, you know, we're, we're the most important. As other, other um, gospels talk about, you know, who, who's going to sit on the right and the left of Jesus in the kingdom. And they're, they're concerned about, like, which one of us are the best? Which one's your favorite? You know, who do you like the most? Who, who gets the most power in the end of all this? So they're having this discussion, this argument amongst themselves about who's the greatest. And I love Jesus' response to us. Or to it. Um, you know, uh, not in Luke, but in another gospel, one thing it says is, is that Jesus turned to them and asked them what they were arguing about. What are y'all talking about? And I've always envisioned that as like one of those parent moments, like when I know full well what's going on with my kids, I'm like, what y'all talking about? You know, what, what's going on in here? Who did what? And I'm just curious to see what their response is. So it kind of feels like one of those moments. So, but Jesus gets wind of this, right? He, he understands that they're arguing amongst each other about who's going to be the greatest. And you almost feel it as you're reading the story. You almost feel the lecture coming on or the rebuke or, or Jesus, you know, getting, you know, pulling out one of his get behind me Satan statements. Or it's like something like that. But that's not what Jesus did in this moment. He did not rebuke them for wanting to be great he simply expressed to them how to become great and he used it as a teaching moment as he often does as well and he taught them how to be great and he said here's what you want to do you want to be first you have to come last right you want to be greatest you need to be least you know you want to be the oldest you got to be the youngest meaning act like a child right and he uses these examples as well you know bringing the other children and you have to be like a child to enter the kingdom and this is, this is a common theme of teaching throughout all of his, his ministry. You want to come first, you have to come last. And that's when I said, I also wonder if it's in the middle of that conversation where he then began to wash his feet. But it's all kind of combined into one thing. Because then he ends that with, you've seen what I've done, and, well, you call me teacher and Lord, and you know that a master or the servant is not greater than the master. So if I've done it, you should do it as well. So notice, though, that when Jesus is choosing to become a servant or a slave to take that position, right? When he chose to take that position, he's not choosing to become a a doormat, right? Or he's not choosing to become the lowest of the low, right? He's He's actually choosing the place that in the kingdom of God is the highest, right? It's the reverse of... The way things work in this world, right? Those who do the serving in this world are the, lo- the least, are the lowest. But he said, Look, in my kingdom, everything's turned up aside on its head. Everything's turned around. It's this wine and the lamb idea that I was sharing with and why I wanted to emphasize that with communion today. He said, In my kingdom, things are going to get turned around where the greatest will be least and the least will be greatest. So, when Jesus calls us, or when when, when Jesus stands up and becomes a servant, and he calls us to serve, he is not calling us necessarily to anything other than the greatest life you you could live. He's calling you to greatness. He's saying, This is just the path to greatness. He wants you to be great, he wants you to have an incredible future, an incredible life of impact, and an incredible place of influence in the kingdom of God he says, you do that by choosing to become a servant, by choosing last place here on earth and giving of yourself. Philippians puts it this way, and it says, although uh, Jesus was God, I'm paraphrasing here, but although Jesus was God, he did not choose that godliness as something to cling to. Instead, he took the humble position of a servant here on earth, right, and gave his life for us. So the same sentiment is described in the book of Philippians. But before it goes into that description about what Christ did, it says we need to be in the like mind of Christ. We need to be like minded with him and prefer others over ourselves. That's that's the idea behind it. If you want to become a servant, your first thought goes to other people. Your first thought is how is what I'm doing affecting this person? How is what I'm doing helping that person? Because it's really easy for us in our sinful nature to just sit here and be concerned about ourselves. You even see Jesus struggle with that a little bit in the garden, right? Like, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's his mission statement. That's why he came to earth. And, but to do that, he took on human flesh. He took on the ability to be tempted. He took on the ability to, to struggle and to be, to be faced with hardship. And what do we see in the garden? We see him in a very candid moment with the Father saying, if there's any other way, now's the time, God, speak up, right? He's sweating drops of blood, so he's feeling it. And, which even brings us to the next level because it's, not, it's easy to go down that road and say, well, I mean, of course, Jesus can do it because he's God, right? I mean, he can do anything. Well, he took a position where it was even hard for him to do it. This, this, didn't, this wasn't easy. It's never an easy choice, but it was a choice that he made. And Scripture makes it very clear that he had to battle through this choice, that this was a, a time of suffering. This was a time of struggle. And he's saying, if I can do it, you can do it. Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus chose to serve. Jesus chose to serve. But then he takes it to the next level, as he often does. Jesus, my second point here today, Jesus served everyone, underline. Oh, actually, everyone, I think, is supposed to be underlined. So pretend the word everyone's underlined, okay? <laughs> Jesus served everyone, okay? And what I mean by that is he washed the feet of every disciple in that room, including Jesus, including Judas. And this passage makes it as full fully aware that he knew what judas was up to right he knew that judas had begun the process to betray jesus to his death like he knew that there had been money exchanged so that judas could betray jesus and he knew that that was going to lead to his death that very night jesus was keenly aware of all of that So this is where I come back to us. You know, I I put this on us. If we're in a position of authority, what's our response? Now I want you to put yourself in Jesus' shoes once again. And you're faced with the person who has just arranged for your death. What's your response to that person? Do you have it within you to kneel at their feet and wash their feet? Do you have that in you? I'd love to stand here today and say, oh, I got that one conquered. I could do that. I don't know. Thankfully, I've never been in that situation. I've never been faced with someone who's plotting my death. At least not that I'm aware of. So, <laughs> but, but Jesus was there. But I, I've, been in, I've been faced with people who have done far less to me and have found myself unable to serve them. So I've been in, a, in an easier situation than Jesus was in. But Jesus found a way to serve, to wash the feet, and even share communion With Judas himself, the man who betrayed him to have him killed. He served everyone. And here's why. And this is the key to servanthood right here. I think this is the most important part. Jesus served us not because of who we are, but because of who he is. That's why he serves. right? Because he made the choice to be a servant. He made the choice to come and give his life regardless of who you are. See, a lot of times when we serve other people, when we give ourselves to people, we make it conditional. We say, I will serve you if you deserve it, <laughs> right? I will I will give to you if you're willing to say thank you, you know, or at the very least, semi-acknowledge what I've done for you, right? But if you treat me horribly, forget you, right? And, and that's that kind of seems like just... The wise way of the world, right? Like, why waste your time on stupid people? Why waste your time on people who just treat you horribly? Like, you shouldn't do that. I, I remember not too long ago, I found myself in a situation uh, surrounded by people, I was overhearing this conversation was um, in, in the other room, and uh, this was this guy that I know. He, he's he's a mechanic, knows car stuff really well, and he was just sharing a story about how his neighbor needed some help with her car or something. So. Uh, he helped her with her car, and I don't remember the details of exactly what he did. But then he goes on this rant about how she was so ungrateful, she never said thank you, and you know, the, everybody else sitting around the table as they're talking, they're all like, yeah, yeah, we've all been there, right? You, you get this going. You've been a part of these conversations where you've been treated horribly by someone, and everyone's like, yeah, isn't it horrible what people do to you? And you all just kind of start agreeing with one another, this swelling. And then eventually the conversation turned to where everybody was just like, you know, I'm just done helping people. Like, I'm just so sick of getting treated this way. I'm so sick of helping. I'll just never do this again and forget it. And and you know, I mean these these were not people who are who are Christian. They were not followers of Jesus and you know whatever. So I I, I get it. I mean you, you don't you should never expect a, anybody to be Christ like who hasn't found Christ, right? Those of us who have found Christ have a hard enough time being Christ-like. <laughs> Own up to it. You know it's true, right? So we're all there. So the situation was what it was. Um, so, But it was breaking my heart because this this was actually when I was, I remember sitting there and part of this conversation, this was actually during a time where this was, God was working my heart on this one specifically in that moment. And so I had been really just been hearing from God the, the truths about How you serve because that's who you want to be, not because of the way other people are going to treat you. You know, we love others. We serve others, not because they're thankful, not because they're grateful, but because that's who you want to be. Really, when it boils down to it, um, it's whether or not you want to play the part of the victim, right? This this is a term we use in our society, you know, that victim mentality. And I've always defined the victim mentality as i allow other people to determine who i am right that's the victim mentality right i'm only this way because of you right you've made me be this way you've forced me into this because you said a certain thing or did a certain thing or treated me a certain way that's why i am the way that i am passing blame onto someone else that's victim mentality right now i get it i get it sometimes the things people do to us is harsh and horrible and terrible, and hard to get over, and sometimes takes years of working it through, and counseling. So please don't hear me wrong today. If, you know, if you've struggled with a horrible childhood or horrible experiences in your life, and they've altered you, I get it, right? I'm not, I'm not saying that this doesn't impact us. What I am saying is don't let yourself go to the place of, there's nothing I can do about it because of what other people did. Right, So I get it. What happens to us molds us, forms us, and can take years to get through sometimes. I get it. I'm not downplaying that at all. Please don't hear that from me today. But don't ever let yourself get to the place of just say, this is who I am because of others, and that's all there is to it. That's where I don't want you to be, right? That's where I don't want you to be. Like I said, even Jesus struggled with this. His very mission, he struggled on that night, saying, God, if there's another way, if there's another way, I'm all ears if there's another way. Even Jesus struggled with this. But in the end, he said, but your will be done, not mine. You know, in the end, that's the place Jesus came to. So wherever you find yourself on that, you know, wh- how, however you've been formed and on that, on that spectrum, wherever you find yourself, I encourage you to take a hold of who Jesus is, fix your eyes on him, the author and perfecter of your faith, and say, that's who I want to be like. And I'm going to do my best to be like that, not because other people have helped me become that, but because that's my choice today. Because I look at my Savior, I look at my Creator, I see who He is, I see the way He loves, I see the way He serves, and I'm going to be that way, regardless of what other people say or do to me. That's my standard right there. That's how I form myself. So it's really a matter of choice today, what forms you. What makes you who you are? Jesus was very clear with, as he's, as he's uh, serving Judas in this moment. He says, it's his, 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 his way of saying, I'm doing this because this is who I am, not because of who you are. Right? And so we need to find the same way to live that out in our lives. So we need to get those thoughts and those statements out of our head that, fl- that fly around our world you know the one something like oh no no good deed goes unpunished or last guys always finish last <laughs> or good guys always finish last nice guys always finish last you know this kind of stuff of just like oh man just the world stinks this is the way it is this is how you get treated um, you know what yeah that is how the way that is the way you get treated look at jesus right and on this night you know fast forward a few chapters to john 17 and he's talking to his disciples he's being real with them he's being very real with them he says, the world's hated me. They're going to hate you. Right? Like He's not pulling any punches here. Right? He's not trying to hide the fact that this life is hard. Right? He's, he's not trying to hide that fact. You know, if, if, you're, if you're here in, sitting in church today and you're here under the pretense that following Jesus is roses and rainbows all the time, I'm sorry to break the news to you. It could be one of the hardest choices you've ever made. I'd love to stand up here and say it's going to be the easiest life imaginable. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's incredible. Actually, a lot of the times it's incredible. But sometimes it's one of the hardest things you've ever done. So I can't promise you that it'll always be easy, but I can promise you it'll always be worth it every single time. And isn't that true in life? I mean, anything worth doing is always difficult, right? The few things that come easily are actually worth doing. Um, So it's, it's not going to be easy. And anybody that's told you that it's going to be easy, that stepping into a life of Christianity is just one big prosperous bubble you get to live in, I'm sorry, that bubble needs to get burst. It's not true. You know, when, when, when continually throughout Scripture, um, there's, you know, passages, I, I think I mentioned it just the last time I was preaching about how when James says, consider a pure joy when you face trials of many kind. Why? Because this is how God strengthens you and perfects you and grows you through endurance. And through character and through growing into the person, you're going to be iron sharpens iron, right? There's all this stuff that we need to work our way through. I, I may have mentioned this before. One of my, I, I apologize. I don't mean to step on any toes. I apologize if you've always liked this statement. But one of my least favorite statements that Christians like to throw around is, you know, when, when a door is closed, God will open a window. Like, And I guess the idea behind that is, you know, there's always going to be a way just to flow through. Like, if that door gets closed... You know, we'll just look, wait for the open opportunity and just prance on through it. So I think sometimes when a door is closed it's because God wants us to rip and claw that door down, right? Maybe we need to bust through it. I mean, all of this is following the leading of God, right? All of this is allowing him to guide us into where we are going. But all, but it's not always just find the easy way out. It's, it's not always just find the easiest, the, the path of least resistance. You know, that must be, the way God wants me to go because that's the way that's just being provided for. The the doors are being opened. I'm sorry, this is turning into a very fun message today, isn't it, right? You guys are like, amen. (laughs) But it's something we need to hear, especially when we're covering the topic of servanthood, especially when we're covering the topic of servanthood, and especially when we're talking about serving our enemies, especially when we're talking about serving those who may have done something as horrible to us as Judas was in the process of doing to Jesus. We need to hear this today. And here's why. I think sometimes when we're going through a struggle, when we're going through difficulty, when we're really up against it, we allow ourselves to be put in a place where we question our own faith. Right? If I was more faithful, right? if I was more obedient to God, if my relationship with God was better, I wouldn't be dealing with this right now. I wouldn't be having this hardship in my life if I was just more faithful um, now no doubt there I mean there are times the book of Hebrews talks about how that God disciplines his children because he loves you so sometimes this is the case I'm not saying it's never the case every once in a while God needs to rough up your life a little bit to get you in order like so that happens but not all the time it's not always because of that remember Jesus as he's walking through and He's, a, he's, he's healing sick people or whatever, and, and someone comes into the question of, why is this person sick? You know, is it because of one of his sins? Is it because of the sins of the Father? Like, have it, like wh- it, what sin brought this upon this person? And Jesus is like, well, he's just sick, so I can show my power. Healed. <laughs> right? So, like, there was no reason for it. Like, there, he's not saying that this this horrible thing is happening because of his sin or because of his unfaithfulness or... You know, I just get to now show my power because of it, right? So, so I, we can't allow ourselves to go down that road of just because it's getting rough, just because I'm feeling friction in my life, just because me doing this action is hard, that means I have not enough faith or not enough love or I'm not Christ-like enough. It, it may not mean that at all. It may simply mean God is saying, take up your cross and follow me, <laughs> right? That's a hard statement, That's a hard statement. Take up your cross and follow me. Or get at the feet of your enemies and wash their feet. Right? Kneel before your enemies and wash their feet. This is not easy stuff. This is not light stuff. But if this is how we as a church begin to embody Christ, and as my final point is just now it's our turn to serve like Jesus. Right? So look at how Jesus served. That's how we need to do it. Now it's our turn. Because what did Jesus say? I've given you this example. Do as I have done. Give you this example. Do as I, as I have done. We live in a world where everybody's out there looking out for number one. Right? That's the world we live in. If the church really gets a hold of this, and we get to embody Jesus in this way, imagine what that says to our world. Right? Right now, we, we live in a society that's pretty hostile towards the church. And a lot of times, you, you know, we get very saddened by that, right? We look in the past, you know, America's past, not saying it was perfect, but at least in the past, it's like, you know, it was, could kind of be called a Christian nation or, you know, it was acceptable or everybody went to church and, you know, that kind of stuff. Like Christianity was open and accepted and even the norm in our society in years gone past. Um, so again, it wasn't perfect in those days, but at least it had that going for it. We don't have that anymore, right? We live in a society where it's, it's pretty hostile towards Christianity. And, and oftentimes the Christian response has been to complain about it, to moan about it, you know, to just talk about how horrible our society is or how wayward we are. What if our response was simply to love all the more, to serve all the more? I mean, like how mind boggling is that? When you've got people that are just blatantly hostile to you, blast you on social media or whatever opportunity they get in, and you, you show up and then just want to serve them in some way. Like, that, that is, that's how we speak as the church. You know, the early church did that really well. Um, and as the church was growing in the first couple of centuries and, and spreading throughout the Roman Empire... I mean, it was it was growing like wildfire. It was re- it was a really cool moment. If you, if, if you enjoy history, read that part of the church history and what happened during those times. But one of the most fascinating things is um, I want to say it was like two three hundred years after Christ. So we're we're talking about this time period here when Christianity is really exploring. And the emperor himself became Julian. I believe was the name of the emperor at the time. Became worried that Christianity was going to take over the empire, and he actually issued this order. It was in, you know, very Roman Latin words, so I'll give you my updated version of it. But it was basically along the lines of, we need to outlove the Christians because everybody's flocking to them. So the Roman Empire actually started um, offering humanitarian services in ways they never had before because the church was doing it at such a high level. Everybody was flocking to them. And so, but, you know, it's it's pretty hard when you try to show the love of Christ and don't have Christ. So it didn't work out so well, you know. And, uh, I mean, you know, history proved that as, the, and eventually the church completely took over the Roman Empire. I mean, to this day, that's why we have the Roman Catholic Church, because the Roman Empire became synonymous with Christianity. Unfortunately, that history, I wish it was bright and rosy. It's not all great, because when things get infected with authority and power, they get corrupt, and the church got corrupted. And so there is all of that. I get it. But at its core, at its grassroots, this is how the church grew. This is how the church spread throughout the Roman Empire. This is how the church... And the Roman Empire became synonymous with one another was because the church loved and served better than the empire did, right? They provided for the needs of the people. And this is what Jesus has called us to do. You know, if you, um, if you look in the book of Luke, and I want to leave you with this right here, uh, Jesus was asked one time, and it's in several of the Gospels, but I want to focus specifically on the book of Luke, you know, what is the greatest commandment? And you probably remember Jesus' response, right? He said, love the Lord your God with all that you are. That's the first commandment. And the second, which is equal to it, right? It's not second as far as it's less important. It's just second because he's mentioning it second, right? It's equal to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he went in and told a parable after that. I don't know if you remember the parable, but it was what he said after that, but it was the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? So Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, and so you may be asking, who is my neighbor? Well, I'm going to tell you a story to give you that answer. And it was the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, talk about loving your enemies. This, this is how Jesus explained it, right? Even the words, the Good Samaritan in that time, in a Jewish heart and in a Jewish mind, don't belong together. Because the Jews and the Samaritans did not like each other. And there was no such thing as a Good Samaritan. There was only a Bad Samaritan, right? But Jesus tells a story of a Jewish man who was beaten and left for dead on the side of the road... And pretty soon, a priest comes walking by, a Jewish priest, but he just kind of goes the other side of the road and keeps on his way. He doesn't want to be bothered with this man. A Levite, both to now approach the priest, a priest and a Levite, both of the priestly tribe, right, does the same thing, walks on by. But if a Samaritan's coming by. You guys know the story Jesus told, right? A Samaritan, a good Samaritan, this horrible, horrible Samaritan, right, stopped cared for the man's needs, paid for a place to stay. If you need me, let me know. Here's here's my business card. Here's my number. Hook me up. I'm, I'm there for you, right? So he did all these things and cared for him. And Jesus says, that's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. So as we're talking about loving one another, here's something you cannot do. You cannot separate love and service. You can't do it, right? Love is an action. How do you love your neighbor? By serving them. You cannot separate those two. So we don't get to sit here today and say, I love people, but never do anything for people. We don't get to do that today, right? Because it comes together. It's all part of the same, two sides of the same coin. You don't get to do that today. I want to modernize this for you. So Jesus, as he told his parables, these were stories that he would make up from time to time and to get a point across, right? So he would tell them so that, the modern audience of that, the contemporary audience of that time, it would make sense to them. So that's why he framed it with this idea of a Samaritan, because that would have pulled some punch to the Jews. So a lot of times when I'm reading parables, I say how can I modernize this? How would this make sense? If Jesus was telling this story today in our society, how might he tell it? And this is what I've come up with, with how Jesus might retell the good Samaritan if he was standing here today. Might tell it, right? I'm just saying he might, because I'm not Jesus. He might tell it this way. So maybe uh, a single mom and some kids are driving along the road some Sunday morning and they break down, they get a flat tire, and they're on the side of the road, right? A pastor comes by and sees this family in need, but he's almost already running late to get to church service that morning. So he says, I'd love to stop, but I can't. I got to get to church. I'm going to be late. So he goes to church. Christian family on their way to church also sees the same thing and says, we'd love to stop, but we're on our way to church this morning. But then an atheist comes by takes care of the person, fixes the tire, sends them on their way, here's some money to buy a new tire, right? That's the same punch of the story. And so we're sitting here today, and you would say, of course, well, the Christian or the pastor would be the one to help, but they don't, right? I'm not saying this is a comment in our society or anything. I'm just saying that's the picture Jesus was trying to draw. So as we today are trying to embody what Christ did and how to serve and to love people, the way that he did, we need to become like that good Samaritan or that atheist in the story which says, whatever's going on in my life, I'm going to prefer others over myself. I'm going to kneel and wash their feet if they're in need. Whatever's going on with my life, that is my priority. That's what I need to look at first. And Jesus says, that is the way to greatness in my kingdom. He also says in the book of James that God resists the proud, but what does he do? He lifts up the humble, right? He resists the proud, but he lifts up the humble. So you may have been working your whole life to try to gain position, to get yourself in better standing here in this world and get yourself to a healthier place. And the world tells you, well, you need to take time for me. Right? You need to look at, look at yourself and take some time for yourself. Take care of yourself. You know, forget about the world for a while. You focus on you. That's the world's solution to, prop, to propping yourself up, to getting to a healthier place. God's solution is take care of other people. Think about them first, and God will take care of you. Right? And I'd rather God taking care of me than me taking care of me. usually works out a little better. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this beautiful example. I thank you that you, our creator God, chose to take the place of a slave and served us, broken, fallen humanity. Absolutely boggles my mind today, God, that you are willing to do that. And then you said to us that a servant is not greater than its master. And so if you, who we call Lord and teacher, have done these things, we also should do them. So God, I pray that you would help all of us to not presume to be greater than you by not serving. Because that's what we're doing when we, pre- when we choose not to serve. We're presuming to be greater than you. But we're not. I pray that we can be like you in this moment. And in all the moments, Lord, we can choose to be a servant, to prefer others over ourselves. Thank you for this illustration for you living it out in the most incredible and powerful way all the way to the cross. Help us today to take up our cross and follow you. We we'll give you an opportunity to respond to this today if you can keep your eyes closed for just another moment and it's pretty simple. you just say I need to get better at serving like Jesus. That's all there is to it today. I need help. I want to get better at serving like Jesus if that's you just lift up your hand today. I need to be a better servant. I need to learn what that means in my life. Thank you. Lord, you see these responses. You see the hands up all across this room. God, I pray that you'll help us with this. Because we know from your story that even you struggled with this. It's not easy. And God, we can't do it without your strength. So I just pray for your strength to fall on us here in this morning. That your strength would embody us, Lord God. Give us the ability to serve others, even our enemies. In the face of the most difficult times, May we love and serve as you do. We need your strength in this. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for giving us this strength, for helping us to be all that you've created us to be in this regard. Pray this all in your name. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG Littlestown, Pennsylvania.